Thank you for tuning in to Sales and Enablement, the podcast. This week, Aviv Bergman joins Crystal and Dan on the pod. Aviv is CEO and co-founder of Gluework. And in this episode, a few topics we discuss are real-time process monitoring, enablement of process adoption, the art and science of sales, and the importance of processes. Sit back and enjoy the episode, our 38. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Sales and Enablement, the podcast. This is our 38th episode, and wow, we are excited to be here. My name is Dan. I'm the sales side of Sales and Enablement. Crystal, what the heck are you doing here? I ask myself that every I am the enablement side. I, I prefer to say the better side, but I'm not going to be rude. And we have an amazing guest today who is going to be talking about something that is also very near and dear to my heart, but I will let him introduce himself. Go ahead. Hi guys, happy to be here. Great introduction. I think uh, on the side of sales and enablement, I'm happy to be like the bad guy because I'm the RevOps guy in this, in, in this conversation. So it's always easy to blame the RevOps, but uh, briefly about myself. I'm Aviv, I'm the co-founder of a company called Lure, an early stage new startup, a little over a year since we started. And we are focusing on processes, this thing that ties everything together into go-to-market. We started this company, as I said, a little bit over a year ago. Prior to starting this company, I was rev ops, sales ops, biz ops, name it, go-to-market ops in startups in Israel for almost 10 years. And I will tell you more in depth probably later in this conversation, but the amount of issues that I struggled with on a daily basis was just so clear to me that we need to build something for exactly this combination of the salespeople, the enablement people, and the ops people, because the potential is massive. And that's it, pretty much. I have a question. Like I've also been doing it and it's working for startups in Israel for the last eight to 10 years. And when I started, I had a full head of hair like you. So <laughs> my question, how did you manage to get out on the other side with those curly locks? <laughs> I, I would say it's good genes. But again, you're not, seeing, you're not seeing the other parts of me, right? My fingernails, things like this, that you're things that I'm destroying in my life. Luckily, my hair is still good. And in the era of Zoom, I think it, it serves the purpose. Great, great. So tell us a little bit more about your journey and specifically like about those experiences that led you to what you're doing today. And then explain to us what you're doing today. Sure. So as I said, I joined the world of startup like a little over 10 years ago as a generalist, which was a term that today is much more, I would say, common and appreciated, but it was a generalist. The classic definition was operations. What's operations? Everything that nobody wants to take care of, right? It's not exactly sales. It's not exactly marketing. It's definitely not product, but it's all the other things. And I think something that it was part of who I am, which is like solving problems. And I found myself the problem solver for the orgs that I worked at. And this kind of the framework that I took uh, throughout my career how am I finding those problems and what's my approach to their solution? As the time progressed, 
I wanted to be closer to the business, like closer to the sales side of things. I was starting to get more interested in the go-to-market and the efforts and the numbers and the data. And I fell in love with all those dashboards and numbers and data and all the things that you can learn when you're trying to solve a problem. So when I started to focus specifically on the revenue and the sales side of things, again, it was always, there is a problem, something is not working, let's try to solve it. Now, I didn't tell you about my previous career, which is funny because I heard your last episode with Eldad from WinAI. So Eldad and I share the same military background. I was also an officer in the Israeli Navy for eight years. So when I heard his episode, I said, yeah, and of course, I know him personally as well, but I'm a very much a process person. And I remember that every time, without a clear agenda, every time that I faced a problem, an issue that needs to be solved, the first few questions that I asked were, okay, how did we do it until now? And then the outcome or the output of this project would be, how are we going to do it going forward? And it all boils down to, the process. What is the process? How people are executing the process, how systems are executing the process. And it's going to open a wide gate for this conversation to what's not working in processes. Uh, but I can say that if I need to summar summarize my personal career and what led me to start this company was I'm the process guy. I'm obsessed with processes. I, I was named the process guy. And I need to say probably not in the most positive way, I can say that every time that I stepped uh, a weekly sales meeting, everybody was saying, Aviv is here, the process guy is here. Everybody was happy about it. So it was probably more on the negative side, but I'm happy to say that after a few years, I managed to find a way to make people love processes and believe in processes and to want processes. And again, in sales, it's probably the most reasonable place to show it because you can really see the impact of a good process. So I became a process-obsessed person and faced a lot of problems that today we're trying to solve with our product. I love that. I think you touched on something, Aviv, about being the rest of the org sales in particular. When you come in to implement a new process, right? Add to something that they already, that's already existing. Sure, there, there can be that negative impact because it's ah, another process, right? But I think sometimes where RevOps and even enablement to some extent when we're involved in the process, but it's when we optimize as well, right? When there is that, because a lot of times you can get those bottlenecks and then it just spirals into this massive, ugly problem and sales reps are fix this, what is going on? And so sometimes I don't think they get enough credit either for that optimization it's always like they're looked at as the bad guy when they implement something, but optimize it and it makes everybody's lives easier. Yeah. You sailors, you're all the same. You yeah, I know. <laughs> but I think the interesting thing about process and sales, and let's talk about that for a moment, because there's the one thing that we can say about sales is that There's, it's very rare that two deals are the same. And the challenges that the sellers will face is even when a deal looks the same and feels the same and smells the same, they're speaking to people and people are different. So tell us about 
a little bit about what you view as a way to help sellers both use processes in a positive way, but taking into the consideration the elements of in the moment. Actually. Yeah. I, I think I can take you to a, a very strong memory that I have from a few companies ago that I worked as RevOps. And this scenario would probably sound very familiar to a lot of the viewers and the listeners that you have this one very good seller that always crushes the numbers. But when you're trying to understand how he's doing it, what is he doing different, you just can't tell. And this is probably an ancient discussion in the world of go-to-market is sales as an art or a science. And I'm saying a little bit of both. Again, we're not even talking about the AI era, but I do think that specifically today, the human interaction is more important than ever. But we can keep the AI discussion for later. The specific discussion that I was talking about was this sales rep that was really good in what he's doing. We could never know why. And I remember this time that I was like the rev ops or like more the enablement person. And I came to him and I said, listen, we have a QBR meeting later this month. I really need you to update your CRM. I really need the data there. And I remember him saying to me, why? I'm closing deals. This is the most important thing for the company. And I said, yes, I can't argue with this. And again, I, to, to be honest, I was significantly younger than this guy. You're fighting with a titan that does his job very well for like decades. And I said, listen, you're doing something special. You're really doing something special. And I know you don't have time to update your CRM, but it's important for the organization to learn because if it would find something that you are doing differently, we might be able to replicate it. And of course he said, you won't be able. It's like, it's my charm, right? And I said, okay, so let's do a deal. And this is a true story. I said, and I didn't have any support from the leadership. I was totally to chutzpah kind of mentality at the time. And I said, listen, I'm going to shadow you for a couple of days. I'm going to be your personal assistant. Everything that you're doing, I'm going to record. I'm going to put in the CRM. I'm going to track everything that you do. I want, I want to learn from you. And if I will be able to prove that this thing is actually beneficial to the organization, I will convince the CEO to get you a personal assistant of your own. Because you know what? You deserve it. You're crushing the numbers. You need somebody to be your second hand. And he said, okay. Now, first of all, I was shocked because I saw so many things that were completely art. But I saw many things that were also science. If you're doing those specific activities in the right time, and again, I'm boiling it specifically to when are you sending the follow-up email? What are you putting in the follow-up email? How are you preparing to the conversation? Are you sending pre-conversation agenda? Like, how are you preparing yourself as a seller for this moment of selling? And I managed to capture a few critical activities that just by knowing that this thing is working for this guy, I went and built a playbook. And I said, this is what you all need to do from now on. And once I started to enforce this playbook and to really say, hey guys, please try and do this activity at this time. And when they said, why? I said, because it might be more beneficial. And guess what? Within a couple of weeks, less than a quarter, we could see everybody's numbers improving just because we managed to find the right process that works for this specific type of customers. And if you're doing it, you're just getting better. Who is benefits from it? Everybody. 
the organization, the numbers, the sellers, because they have better quota and better numbers. So everybody's earning from finding the right process and really enforcing it. Awesome. Great. And sorry, do you have anything, Crystal? No. Okay. So let, um, it sounds like we're now moving towards talking about monitoring the process. So tell us a little bit about how it's being done today and where you think companies have room for improvement. So the thing that I've seen the most as an operator myself, but also with our customers, that process monitoring, process enforcement, even process attention is most of the time reactive and highly manual. What do I Again, let's take an example. If you're getting to the end of the quarter or the end of the month, you're seeing numbers, right? We all love dashboards. And you're seeing a metric, an output metric. It could be conversion between uh, lead to opportunity. And we can agree that this conversion rate could improve month over month. It could be the opposite. We could be happy from the numbers. We could be not happy from the numbers. But let's assume we're not happy from the numbers. Now comes the question of why this is the right, why this is the number, why this is the output number. And exactly this is like the problem solving area. This is the place that the operators, the analysts, depends on the size of the company and the structure, starting to work backwards on the data in order to identify what's working, what's not working. Now we saw two problems with this. One, in most of the cases, nobody have the right data accessible which is also part of the process. Yes, it's annoying to adhere to uh, uh, data hygiene all the time, but it's critical for the process. Once we gathered all this information, let's assume it's a perfect, everybody's putting the information in the right time in the right place. We always, when we work backwards, we always find things that are not working. Now we can all agree that if you manage to extract a report from your CRM that you see 50 leads last month that the SLA for the response time was not met, it's not relevant anymore, this insight, because those leads are dead. So the reactive and manual approach cannot bring organization into real-time decision-making. We can look back and say, oh, we didn't adhere to the SLA of lead response time. That's too bad. Let's try to fix it next month. And what we try to do with work is how can we identify those things in real time so people can actually take an action before it gets too late. Now, this manual and reactive approach, as I said, this is probably the most common. It takes a lot of time. It's energy consuming. And I never saw even one time that people, even with our existing customers, but also in my uh, previous experience, that we don't find issues that we're saying to ourselves, oh, I wish I would know this in real time. So the only way to solve it, which was always, again, on my, uh, uh, under my umbrella, was you need somebody to monitor the process. In many cases, this was me. And monitoring doesn't mean a weekly monitoring using reports or a monthly monitoring using reports and dashboards. It means daily because you need to see every day that the sales team is responding to leads and moving the and trying to. Let's even take another example. You have a lot of no-shows. Trying to recover those no-shows in timely manner is critical. You need to always to know what's happening. And there isn't a good way today to really visualize what's happening in the process in real time so you can really take action in real time. So this is the thing that we are trying to disrupt with Work. These are pretty familiar sounding problems to me anyway. 
I just came out of a meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's across the board. I, I can tell you also when we're asking, sometimes I'm playing, a, I, I'm not going to share all my sales tactics, but one of the first questions that I'm asking a new prospect is, do you have any KPIs today or conversion rates that you're not happy with and you're trying to optimize? And everybody's saying, yeah, of course. And then the next question is usually, do you think that this poor performance or this poor number that you're trying to optimize has some sort of relation to how people and systems are actually executing the process? And it's like, oh, yeah, of course. And then we boil it down to the ROI question. Do you think, and I'm, again, I'm sharing this question with the world, do you think that by focusing on the process and looking at the process, you would be able to capture things that were worth to you an improvement in this KPI? And I'm not talking about 40% increase. I'm talking about 1%. And if so, why are you not monitoring your processes? And if you're telling me it's too expensive, I don't have enough manpower, I don't have enough bandwidth, Processes are changing all the time. I need to tell you a secret. Everybody is in the same situation. Big companies, small companies, everybody's always optimized. The question is, are they optimizing in real time so they can really have a real-time impact on the metrics or not? That makes sense. Yeah, I, I, that makes so much sense when I think about, again, from an enablement perspective, we rely so heavily on RevOps to help us get as close to real time as possible, right? Because I, and again, this is one of those things where the the way that I think about enablement RevOps, RevOps handles the science piece and enablement handles the art piece, right? And improving that performance from that side, right? Behavior changes, things like that. And then but RevOps and enablement to me are like in lockstep, right? And I think every enabler who listens to this is probably, holy cow, there's something in real time now. So I, I that was the most intriguing piece to me because we're always running behind the eight ball, it seems like, in enablement. It's it, a lot of times it was very reactive and it, sometimes it can be very random because without that data in, in ideally real time, we're constantly like, oh, let's go put this fire out. Oh, let me go put this fire out because it's like all of these things are just happening. Is that sort of the way that, that you think about enablement and RevOps and the science and the art piece? And I guess the question that I have is when you're selling or when you're talking to someone in enablement, how do you typically position the product? How do you typically talk about it in terms of how it can help enablement? So we actually do have few enablement, I would say champions that we started to sell from the enablement folks. I must say that in order to get, I think, in order to get a proper new technology in the company that requires also some behavioral change, you need a wide buy-in. It's not just tools for the enablers. I do have a good news. It's not a tools for the sales reps. They have enough. They have yeah. enough tools that they need to work at. This is definitely tool for, I'm saying the people behind the scenes, the operators, the enablers, the manager, the leadership, the people that really cares about getting those insights in real time. And as for the enablement piece, we also need to differentiate because obviously there are enablers that are 
focusing more on the content, right? Are you using the right presentations? Are you saying the right things? Are you asking the right question? Which is super critical in today's technology allows to streamline it, right? All the conversational intelligence softwares can actually really help with generating the right data. You still need someone at the end of the day, it could be enablement or ops, it doesn't really matter, to listen to those conversations, to generate out those insights and to learn. So when we're talking about enablement in terms of process adoption, and this is actually one of our most leading use cases, like process adoption, you built in your process, Everybody is aligned. You did a great team meeting and you share this thing. You have a beautiful documented playbook. Now what's next? Is it working? And usually what happens is people, enablers, are monitoring the activities using reporting and dashboards. And they're doing it in the first week, in the second week. And usually everybody is compliant in the first couple of weeks because it's new. But then they move to the next project. What we actually allow them to do is to move to the next project and to be comfortable with the fact that now they have a system that doesn't let the process fall because the process will break. Wow. New people would join. Things which companies are dynamic, processes are dynamic. So I'm not expecting any company to put an ops or enabler or an analyst to constantly monitor activities of a specific uh, vertical, specific activity because it's just, it's not scalable. But I do recommend them to use a system that now they can move to the next project and there is a system that tracks it for them and alerts them if something goes bad. And now about it, no one, not when things are completely broken and nobody remembers, and you all probably know this thing, right? Oh You're saying, gosh. hey, we, we had this process two months ago, why nobody's following it? Oh, we're not using this anymore. We're not selling this product anymore. This is not our current pricing. Things are changing all the time. When you have a system that makes sure that the process is not breaking, now you can really, and this is what we're trying to do, not to replace the enablers, not to replace the operators. In fact, giving them more capabilities and bandwidth to focus on what's burning the most right now. Yeah. Get in front of, be, be proactive. I love it. Yep. Love it. Uh, I think it, it's interesting because I'm sure both of you will have an opinion on this, but the times they are changing. And I feel even with what we just spoke about, RevOps, enablement, real time, the roles are changing. The enablement today is certainly different than enablement a year ago. Crystal, talk yeah. to me about enablement today as opposed to enablement a year ago, just for one minute. It, it is, it, it's like night and day. You're getting enablers who are much more focused on specific areas of the business and not just not just the sales org, which is the world that I came from. I think you're finding go-to-market strategists or go-to-market content program manager, things like that. It's changing. And honestly, I don't even know what that's going to look like in another six to 12 months. It's going to look, it's going to look different again. So absolutely. It's changing. And I, th and I think it also goes, we should be uh, honest with ourselves. It's also changing for sellers, not only enablers. Sales is not the same as it was two years ago, especially what's happening with AI. Everybody's talking about what's the next role that is going to be vanished. I hope that none of them, but will we need SDRs in a year from now? Would we need 
ops in a year from now? If that, we don't know, but what we do know, especially after looking at the last three years, COVID, downturn in the market, roles are changing all the time. Technology is changing all the time. And the organization that will win is probably the organization that are understanding it early. Yeah, adaptable and, and can pivot quickly. I, I think that's going to be the name of the game over the next 12 months is yeah. can your organization pivot? Is it agile and is it flexible? Are you staying lean? I, I think a lot of those things are going to really start to, to show and organizations who are those things are going to start to really make some serious progress. It's interesting because I think it was always that way to a certain degree. Startups always talked about pivoting and moving fast and Israeli style, learning from your mistakes and keep pushing forward. But I think the economic reality now is much more harsh than it ever was in the last 15, 20 years, where what we're about to see is that you can preach fast changing and pivot and learn from your mistakes. But I think if you don't, you're not going to exist in 2024. I think that's the big difference now. The reality is, and then you put AI on top of everything, like AI market conditions that we came out of and market conditions that we're going into. There's a lot of, there's just a ton of uncertainty out there, isn't it? But I, if we think about even specific roles, but I understand roles evolving like enablement. I think that's such an exciting opportunity if you are or were in enablement to embrace the, the technology and the new sort of RevOps approach to, to performance improvement. So I think there's in some cases, great opportunities. In some cases with SDRs, it's what did the, what was the purpose of that role to begin with? We know it was to bring in new business, but was it just to show growth or was it bringing, was it to show how many meetings you booked or, or was it to show real outcomes in revenue? So I think every opportunity now, like to evolve is, is definitely um, happening and it's happening faster. And I'm excited for what comes next. But then the question is whose responsibility is all of this? We're in this period of market uncertainty, but even internally now, like who, who's in charge of this stuff? I, I think this is probably the most important question, especially I'm talking from the perspective of a new vendor in the market, right? When I'm talking with companies, the first question that I'm asking, because again, in the first conversation, everybody's saying, oh, process monitoring, it makes a lot of sense, right? It can help us find bottlenecks, inefficiencies, it can help us optimize. It all sounds great. The most important question that I'm asking as a seller is who cares about it and who's going to take action? Now, it's different from one company to another. I met companies that the RevOps person is like the person and the department that handles the enforcement. And by the way, I'm a big believer in this. We have the thing, the reason that I love the title revenue operations, because it gave me like a a purpose, I would say, because suddenly I had this revenue part in my role. So now I know that everything that I'm doing should affect revenue. With all due respect, I'm not here to make salespeople life easier. I'm here to make salespeople life easier 
so they can generate more revenue. So again, this is not the outcome. And when I'm talking with those customers, I'm asking, who cares about the process? Because I can work with a RevOps team. They will get all the data about their top of the funnel, and they will see that the top of the funnel processes are a mess. But who's going to reinforce it? Who's going to be the bad guy? Who's going to talk with the reps? And I think in the end of the day, it boils to management and leadership because they are the people that are, they are measured by their outcomes and by the results. And if you have the opportunity to improve the outcomes and improve the results, they are the real owner. But again, I think there is a real need for a mutual uh, buy-in from the sellers that know that it's going to benefit them, from the operators. It must be a win for everybody, from the vendor to the end user. I think it's a, there's a huge opportunity for enablement here because uh, something that you just said, it's not about making a sales person's life easier or job easier, but like it, it's really fascinating what's happening in the market right now. And I don't, I, like nobody, I, nobody has the answers quite yet, but things are moving so fast thanks to AI. Companies are evolving and all going after the same piece of pie. And it, it's a great opportunity for enablers to step up, for salespeople to step up, and for RevOps to really make a mark on business. What was Rev, by the way, I think he's talked about it a little bit. If you're in RevOps, when did RevOps start? When did we first hear that term? I heard sales before yeah, sales ops were there for sure much earlier. I think from the beginning of CRMs, without mentioning specific big brand CRM, you always needed the support function, right? The people behind the scenes. Especially when sales were not fully digital, right? You were actually going to conference and, and replacing business cards. You were actually going to restaurants and playing golf with your prospects. And then you had to report back on the weekly meeting of what's happening. And then sales ops started. We have this very expensive system that we're, we're paying for, but if we're not making sure there is data inside, we cannot really use it. So as technology evolved, I think the operations, the need for operations be, became like significantly stronger because now you have all those tools. Also, a great question. Who's going to own this tool? Who's going to be the admin? Who's going to work in front of support if something is not working? And this is where operations started to thrive. With the thriving of sales technology and go-to-market technology, suddenly you understand that, oh, you have the front line, the sellers, but you also need the support behind the scenes to make sure that all this thing is playing well together. And I think this was like the tipping point for RevOps in the connectivity and visibility across the go-to-market tech stack. And it was still very much needed. And I think the sooner, the better for every company. If you're having revenue, you need revenue operations. Yeah. It's really well, interesting, it. isn't it, Crystal? I think this is, we spoke about this a little bit. Yeah. It's here. No. The movement is on us. A hundred percent. And to your point, Dan, I, I was having a private conversation with someone the other day and also I'll tell you what I think is going to happen with the One of two things is going to happen. One is enablement is going to be blended with RevOps. 
Um, it's just going to be a blended team. You are no longer going to have that separation of enablement has a seat at the table. RevOps has a seat at the table. This is going to be a blended team that are working hand in hand together. Or if it doesn't go that way, which we all know that there's the opposite end of, of the spectrum, enablement is going to end up carrying a bag. And that is going to be something like win rate. You, you enablement, you are now responsible for win rates. Now, he, here's why I say that. Because enablement has the capability to collaborate cross-functionally. It takes a very specific set of skills to be able to do that effectively. Enablement has been, well, at least I have. Enablement has been doing it um, for years to operate that way, to get buy-in from key stakeholders. And win rate maybe could be another metric, but they are going to end up holding a bag. So I, I think it's one of those two things that are going to happen with enablement. Um, I lean toward the, the former, but we'll see. I don't know. Just what I'm saying. <laughs> well, you're just not telling us, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's definitely interesting times. Um, this was great. Aviv, tell us, give us the elevator pitch on glue work. Sure. It's actually very simple. We are monitoring any processes across your go-to-market tax deck to ensure that the processes are working properly, the systems are working properly, and that no bowls are actually dropping. And if the bowls are dropping, because they will drop, because we're, most of us are still humans, we would be there to let you know, managers, operators, reps, that specific activities needs to be done because it impacts revenue. So if I need to explain it the most simple way, I will even take it to my experience in the beginning when I told my co-founder my vision to this thing. Uh, my co-founder is obviously the technical guy. I told him, listen, the same experience that a product manager has with his BI tools, he can look on a BI tool and see the journey, see what happens and where it drops. I want this experience for the world of revenue, for sales processes, for top of the funnel processes, for customer renewals, everything that requires a process, we can monitor it. And this is exactly what we're doing. When we're doing it, companies would not have to do it manually and reactively. This is what we do, making processes becoming more um, happy, I would say. We like happy. Yeah, yeah. we definitely like happy. <laughs> the right direction. Great. We will obviously paste your name and company all over uh, you. the posts on LinkedIn. So we don't need to ask you where people can find you. It's always a dumb question I ask, isn't it, Crystal? Like, well, where can people find you? Some people are like, some people are on Spotify themselves as well. Like, we've had other podcasters. So, but yeah. Yeah, I would, that's not the best I would talk to you can look for the guy that talks about processes all the time <laughs> and you would find it. awesome great I think if you've made it this far you've reached the end of the episode thank you for listening and Aviv thank you for your time we really appreciate it thanks Dan thanks Crystal thank you for your time and thank you for the opportunity